0: The scripture today is Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Amen. We've been looking at a variety of psalms Uh, calling this series, The Psalms for the Seasons of Life. And we recognize that there are three different categories of psalms. There are psalms of orientation, when life is going well. Um, Hopefully we get more of those times. Psalm 8 is one of those. And then there are psalms of disorientation, uh, or known as laments. And we looked at one of these a few weeks back, Psalm 86. And today we're going to look at Psalm 130 as a second psalm of disorientation. And then next week we will look at the third category, uh, Psalms of reorientation. So psalms of disorientation, of lament. Uh, this psalm, Psalm 130, was a favorite of uh, Wesley and Luther, known as Out of the Depths de Profundis, Out of the Depths. And both of them found encouragement uh, in this psalm. Remember, psalms of disorientation begin with the crises, but always end up in a a position of praise and giving thanks for God for working in um, their situations. And so Psalm 130, uh, one for us to consider it begins with, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. So it begins with this, out of the depths. De profundis. And the allusion the is to one of water, out of the depths. And being in waters that are over your head, that are deep, where you obviously can't touch bottom, and there's anxiety, there's stress, Uh, you know, there's a sense of panic coming in because you're in these deep waters. And you remember stories in the Old Testament of uh, passing through the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan, there are these fears of of the waters and they continue right through really the history of Israel, unsure of what to do with this great sea of the Mediterranean. So, finding themselves in deep waters. So that's where this psalm begins. And uh, we'll think in terms of going down in the depths. Just this past week, Rob and I are away uh, diving on the island of Saba, and much of the diving there is very deep. And it, there is a certain sense of Stress, perhaps, when you are so far down, when you're on top and you know you have to go all the way down, or when you're on down and you have to go up. So the sense of depth is, you know, is a reality. And that's where uh, the psalmist finds themselves, in the depths, an allusion to being in deep waters. Recognition that on my own, you know, I'm in an anxious place, I'm in a stressful place. And so what happens is then, the psalmist cries out to God. Out of the depths, I cry to God. It's Anne Lamott's phrase, help me, help me, help me. I need you to be attentive to my situation, Lord. I want you to notice me. And so we can think of uh, Israel in Egypt when they're crying out to God, it goes like this, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. So God heard their groaning and he takes notice of them. And so when the psalmist cries out, uh, be attentive to me, may your ears be attentive, may you take notice of me, this is the cry of the, the psalmist. God be mindful of me in my situation, in my precarious state I need you to notice me, be mindful of me, pay attention to me. This is what I'm crying out to God for. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And so as the psalmist begins that, you know, we can think of our own situations. In what ways are we in deep waters? Through this whole COVID stressful time, clearly that there has been a concern on health, on testing and making sure we're okay, and following the guidelines and the rules. there's, There's a certain stress that goes with all of that. So that can be the depths or it can be relationship depths, stresses in your family, maybe stresses with your neighbors. There can be financial stress. COVID has created a lot of that. And so out of my stress, I cry out to you. I need you to be with me in in this situation of anxiety and worry. So that's where the psalmist is crying out. He's in deep waters and he cries out to God for God's help. And so then as we think of our own situations, then, you know, what, what are the deep waters for us? What are the deep waters for you? And we ask God to be attentive to us. So that's where it begins in verses one and two. Verses three and four, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. And so we started in the depths, and now the the psalmist is going up the wall a bit, if you like, going up in the waters, ascending. And now the specific issue comes to mind for the psalmist, and it is that of his own guilt. It is the psalmist aware of how they have transgressed, how they've broken the law, broken the Torah, where they are you know, out of step with, with God, perhaps out of step with others, out of step with themselves. There's a, an element of guilt or sin or missing the mark or alienation, any of those kinds of words. That's the specific issue here that the psalmist is dealing with. My own sins, aware of my own fragility, of my own brokenness. And Lord, I need you to help me in this situation. So this awareness in verse three. But verse four, notice it in three and four. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. So the psalmist says, if you kept a sin journal, I would be done with. But I know you don't do that. I know that you are a forgiving God, and you are a God of mercy. And I can depend on you for your mercy and your goodness and your forgiveness. I I can count on that. And so the psalmist finds assurance in that, encouragement that God is there and he forgives. We do a song called Brokenness Aside and the lyricist writes these words, the chorus, because I am a sinner, if it's not one thing, it's another, caught up in words, tangled in lies. But you are a savior and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful, beautiful. I am a sinner, if it's not one thing, it's another, caught up in words, Tangled in lies, but I know that you are there for me. So it's, it's a lovely song. It's a confession of faith, and that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's confessing and recognizing his brokenness and his separation, and he, and he wants that to change. And he cries out to God that God will be there for him and will indeed forgive him. Who could stand if God kept all records of our sin? But the psalmist is confident. He's recognizing that God is there in verse 4. So it's a, it's a beautiful statement. God is there for us. Paul writes in Romans 3, 24, 25, speaking of our situation, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Since all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. You know, it's not just a few people, right? We all have sinned. And our sins, you know, rise up in different ways. And your sin may not be my sin, and my sin may not be your sin. Well, somehow in our culture, we, we determine that certain sins are the worst sins, and we're all over people for those sins. Meanwhile, we can overlook our own. But Paul is reminding us that we, we've all sinned. He, an apostle, a great apostle, he has sinned. Peter, another apostle, has sinned. We we all have sinned. And if that's the case, then we need to be gentle and generous with others and not see them as sinners and somehow us as not. Paul says we're all in the same boat, and so is the psalmist here in Psalm 130. But they're confident that God is there and he's merciful and he's loving He is the one that we can depend on. So God is merciful. He is forgiving. So he starts down the wall, way down on the wall, maybe 120 feet down. Out of the depths I cry to you. I need your help. Then he starts ascending and he gets more specific. And he says, well, the issue I'm really dealing with is my, my sin, my brokenness. And I need you, Lord, to be forgiving for me in this situation, whatever it might be continues to rise up the wall. Verses five and six, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. So he's getting closer to the surface. And what, what these verses are showing is that fundamentally what the psalmist is wanting is a restoration in his relationship with God. Sin causes this alienation, this brokenness. And the psalmist wants to, for that to be overcome so that their relationship, his relationship, her relationship with God is restored. So it's one of a desire for restoration and mercy. That's That's what the psalmist is wanting here. And so three times in verses 5 and 6, there's an emphasis on waiting. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. There's this desire and waiting and hoping. In fact, there's a link here between waiting and hope. Waiting on God is a full waiting. It's a waiting in faith. It's a waiting in trust. So it's waiting in hope that God will indeed restore the relationship of intimacy that they want. And so our, our hope is solid. So there's a difference, if you like, between hope and hopes. Our hope is trusting in God and it's rock solid. Our hopes can be our aspirations, can be our desires, what we long for, but the psalmist here is saying, my hope is in you, my my faith is in you, my trust is in you, I look to you, you are my bedrock, that hope I am waiting on. And indeed so much, it's, 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 it's more confident and more assured than the watchman even waiting for the dawn, for the sun to rise. The watchman knows the sun will come up. And the psalmist is saying, my trust in God is even greater than the watchman knowing the sun will come up. I'm confident that God is there for me. And he is a God of mercy and strength and love, kindness, forgiveness. This is the God that he waits on. So from out of the depths, he comes up and he acknowledges his sin, his guilt, And then he rises up and he's saying, Lord, what I want is restoration and intimacy with you. That's what I desire. And I wait on you for that. And so it's it's a a confidence in God's word. In fact, you see that in verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. So the waiting and the hope is, is centered on God's word. God speaks creation through his word. And God speaks to us person to person through his word, his written word. And the spirit works through his word. And so we are to be in the word because the word speaks of the promises of God, God's covenant with us. He is there. The word is, the, is our entrance point into really recognizing and trusting what God is saying to us. And so it, it just emphasizes the point that, that we need to be in the word. God speaks through the word. The human race, what makes us different is we have different, we have the word. We can communicate through words. And God speaks to us through His word. So are we reading? Are we listening? Are we allowing God's word to speak into our heart? Ezekiel says, I want to eat your word. I eat the scroll. I want to eat it all up. I want to know your word. And so the psalmist here is crying out and saying and trusting, I trust in your word because your word is one of hope, mercy, kindness. I wait on that. And then verses seven and eight, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Steadfast love. With the Lord there is steadfast love. That's his kessed. That's his mercy. That's the bedrock. God is one who treats us with his steadfast love, regardless of where we have been. If we cry out in trust and and with a, a heart that is real and honest, God is there to meet with us. And we know twice here in verses seven and eight, God's great power to redeem. He will redeem Israel. And he has great power to redeem us. You know, there's a marvelous story in Mark chapter five, where Jesus is in a, one of the regions across the Sea of Galilee in an in in area where there's more non-Israelites. And he's in an area where there is a strong man, a man who is able to break the chains, physical chains by his strength, a a Samson-like character in that way. And no one can restrain him. But he hurts others and he hurts himself and so he's, he's dangerous to the community. And Jesus comes into that area with his disciples and this man rushes up to him And falls down before him and and cries out in a loud voice, Jesus, what what do you want from me? What do you want from me? He recognizes the power of Jesus. And Jesus asks him an interesting question. He says, what is your name? What is your name? Jesus is not afraid of this guy at all. What is your name? And the man responds by saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Well that's an insightful statement. He says my name is Legion for we are many. That there is this power of evil in this person and and, and it's stated my name is Legion and there are many of us in this individual. And so one of the names for the evil one, one of the names for the devil, one of the names for Satan is legion, for we are many. And it speaks about the power of darkness and the reality of the power of darkness in our world. And the man is fearful of Jesus and says, Jesus, send us into these swine over here and that and, and, you'll get rid of us that way. And Jesus agrees in that moment. And the swine rush it down into the lake and they drown. And the people from the community come out and they're, they're full of fear over the whole, this whole reality. But it shows God's power because when they come out, the man is dressed and he is in his right mind. And he is having conversation with Jesus. And indeed, he now wants to travel with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go back into your town and tell them what God has done for you. So it's a story of redemption, the power to redeem. So the reality is, is if Jesus can bring this person who is possessed by many demons and redeem him, surely he can redeem us in our situation and in our brokenness. His ability to redeem. So we, we hear how the psalmist then rises from the depth. So what, what, what does that say for us and to us as we close here? And I think one is it speaks to God's solidarity, to Christ's solidarity with us as fragile human beings. God is aware of our sinful nature. And he is kind and he is merciful. And his heart is always one of openness to restore us. He is in solidarity with us. The prodigal son returns and he is welcomed by the father in that parable. And the father stands for God. That's how that parable reads to us in Luke. So God in solidarity with us. He, there's a heavenly contract between God and with us. He's attentive to our cries. Secondly, the baseline is God's keset, the baseline. The beginning point of God with us is his steadfast love, his mercy, his kindness. I remember going to uh, my doctor years and years ago. I was only about 40 at the time. And he says, Alan, I, I want to do an EKG with you because I want us to establish a baseline of how your heart is. I, I didn't know. And so we, we do this baseline. Okay, we have that as our, as our record. And everything else in the years going forward will be compared to that baseline. And God's baseline with us is his steadfast love, his kessid, his compassionate love. New Testament or Old Testament, that is the baseline. God's mercy. God is ready and he has the capacity to forgive and to restore us, to redeem us. And then finally, thirdly, That God is to be worshipped, that he is to be uh, feared, if you like, that word. And we see that in verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared, meaning you are worshipped. We are devoted to you. You are our number one priority. We want to keep you as our center. As the compass always goes to north, so are we are to do that. That God's mercy and kindness draws us back and we are to live open to God with open hands, not clenched fists, open to his goodness, to his restorative powers in our hearts, that we might continue switching from false self to the true self in Jesus, to more and more put on the fruit of the Spirit, and to walk in love and in compassion for others. So you see then there is this movement from disorientation finally to orientation. There's a sense of trust. All of these laments end finally with trust and dependence on God. And I do pray for you right now in your situation that you might go to him out of your depths, whatever they are, express your concerns, And know that God is there for you, and he wants this relationship of love and kindness and peace and even joy as we walk with him. May we indeed, as Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit, live in relationship with him this week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.